Luke chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 27 this evening. After these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own home. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink? And he said unto them, Can you make the children of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then they shall fast in those days. And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of new garment, no man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, or else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man, having drunk old wine, straightway desireth new, for, he saith, the old is better. Now this is the fifth installment of what Jesus sees and what we learn from what Jesus notices. So it's, I hope in each of these units that we look to see what Jesus notices, and I want you to notice that Jesus cares. Now there's lots of applications we could make in these in these passages, but the reality is, what was Luke wanting us to know? So that's, that's going to be the primary focus that we see this evening. Luke wants us to notice what Jesus focused on. Jesus saw people, broken people, who needed healing. People who needed a Savior. Now, Let's think back. In verses 1 and 2, Jesus saw crowds and cared about people that were curious. Beginning at verse 3, Jesus saw Peter and cared about a man who did not realize the seriousness of his sinful condition. Jesus saw a leprous man and cared that he had a terminal condition. Jesus saw religious people and forgave and healed an impotent man because he cared for their prideful souls. And now tonight we come to Jesus saw a publican named Levi 
and cared for him and all the outcasts. Verse 29 is going to say others. The idea there is alos. It is others of the same kind. Lots of publicans and people that are just like those publicans. So let's begin at verse 27, and I want us just to see Jesus tonight. I want us to see what Jesus was doing. I want you to see what Jesus noticed, what was important to him. And after these things, he went forth. After what things? Well, after he raised the man that was lame, after he had taken care of the public, after he had taken care of the man with leprosy. And it appears that at this time, the... Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, are still in the area. So it must have happened relatively soon. It says, after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. Now, interesting, if we were to turn back to John chapter 3, we would see that John the Baptist, as he was preaching repentance and people were coming to him, there was a group of tax collectors that said, so what should we do? And he said, only collect what you're supposed to collect. You know, sometimes, in fact, I can remember growing up, there was a group of Christians that said, you don't have to pay your taxes. We, our allegiance is to Jesus, not to the United States, not to our state, not to anything else. You don't have to pay your taxes. Interestingly enough, you don't ever see that in the New Testament. In fact, even when they were quizzed, Jesus said, you know, we are subject to the king. We're sons of the king. But so that it's not a problem, just go pay your temple tax. So you just find, as we're going through it, not the key idea here, but what Jesus, uh, what, what Luke had told us earlier in chapter 3 was, Christians pay taxes. Christians are part of what's going on around them. And here we find Levi, who was collecting taxes, but specifically, this was not the poll tax. This would have been, according to what we read here, this was a customs tax. This was what people that were going by would have been paying either for goods they had purchased or for the use of the road. And Levi is there. And Jesus makes this statement to him. Follow me. Now the publicans were viewed as renegades. Publicans were Jews that had worked with the Romans so that the Romans could get their tax money. But in, in partnering with the Romans, they became viewed as robbers the, not the scriptures, but the, the writings of the rabbis said that the publicans were robbers. They were thieves. And a good number of them were. This was the way they made their extra money. Um, publicans were full of extortion, which is where you put pressure on somebody to do what they really don't have to do, but you put enough pressure on them that they go ahead and they'll pay up. They were known for fraud, which is uh, where you misrepresent. But it's interesting. We read, he went forth and 
saw a publican. The word here, saw, means not just to glance and see something, but to look on purpose. And that's important as we think about our Lord, because what was Jesus doing? Jesus was looking, and he didn't just see a crowd of people. Every time he saw a crowd and he said, these people are curious. I need to teach them what they need to know. He saw Peter. He saw a leprous man, and he reached out and touched that leprous man. He saw a lame man, but interestingly enough, remember at verse 17, it wasn't at first that he was there for the lame man. He was there for all the religious people. He saw the religious people who were without hope. And now specifically, he saw, he was looking on purpose, and he saw this publican. He said, follow me. You know, interestingly enough, Jesus didn't scold the man. Jesus didn't say lots of things. He didn't say, you know, if you're going to do this, you need to, you need to get rid of this. You need to get rid of this. You need to stop doing this. What did he say? Follow me. Do you know when you follow Jesus, it is going to make a radical change in your life. But it's something that that transformation takes place, as we've been studying in Ephesians, and we'll come back to it this coming Sunday, when we were made in righteousness and true holiness, now we have the ability to change. You see, that all takes place at salvation. For you young people, you say, well, you know, I look at these, I, I, I look at other people and I say, boy, I'd like to be a Christian, but I can't be like that. What you need to understand is, until God puts the gas in your car, your car's not going to run. Until you come to a place to where you understand, I, I need Jesus Christ. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. When you follow him, God says he will give you the Holy Spirit when you receive the Lord as your Savior. Now you can be a different person. But it's, it begins with, follow me. It begins with this choice to follow and Jesus just says, follow me, and look at verse 28. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. Jesus' call was very simple, and Levi responded in simple faith. Okay. Follow me. Okay. Where are we going? I don't know yet. I'm just going to follow you. And when you receive the Lord as your Savior, you don't know all that's going to take place. I never knew I would be in Fargo. I never knew how much I would like it in Fargo. But God knew. And back many years ago, he said, follow me. And I said, yes, I would like to do that. Now, notice with me in verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a company full of publicans and others that sat down with them. You know, what I want you to notice as you look at that verse, Luke's telling us something about following Jesus Christ. It's not drudgery. It's not, okay, well, I guess I got to do this because I want to get to heaven and I don't know how else I'm going to get to heaven. So I guess, okay, I guess I'll just follow Jesus. 
What did he do? When Levi received, when Levi said, I'm going to follow Jesus, what happened? He was so excited about it, he threw a great big party. You know, when we have friends that come to know the Lord, it ought to be something we rejoice over. When we have people here in our church that have received the Lord as their Savior and they're ready to follow in baptism, and we have a baptism, hopefully we're going to have one, but we need to figure out how we're going to do one of those here, okay? Maybe we just need to go to a motel and rent a pool. That would be good in public, wouldn't it? We could do that. But you know what also ought to be taking place, and that is this. There ought to be a celebration. This, these are exciting times. This isn't just uh, serving Jesus is a lot of fun. Yeah, this is great. That's the way a lot of times we come in. But I want you to notice that's not what Levi does. Look at verse 28. Levi says, I'm sorry, verse, verse 29. Levi made him a great feast in his house. And he invited all the other publicans and all the others that are like the publicans, all the people that no one else liked. They were all the outcasts. And those are the people that he said, you come on in. You're my old friends. Come on in. I want you to see something's happened. I want you to meet someone that changed my life, and he can change your life too. A guy named John Ryle, as he was writing on this text, said, a converted man will not wish to go to heaven alone. Jesus made a huge difference in my life. I want everyone to know about it. And I would love for them to know about it. I would love for them to know Jesus. I can't make them do that. But you know what I can do? I can invite them to come. And I can tell them about Jesus. I can introduce them to Jesus. And then the rest is up to Jesus. The rest, they have a choice. But notice the joy that's there. This whole thing of, this is such serious and somber time. Well, it is serious, but it's a joyful occasion. I thought this was interesting. Dinner is a wonderful time to share gladness and to share your testimony. I was interested in how many times Luke talks about eating and he connects that to joy and he connects that to the Savior. Now notice verse 30 with me. But their scribes, the ones that were in that area, the ones that had been there, but their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Isn't it interesting that since Jesus already in uh, verse 23 had answered them with such simplistic logic, they didn't go after Jesus again. Notice, they didn't look at Jesus and say, why do you eat with publicans and sinners? What did they say? They looked at the disciples and they thought they'd put the, put the pressure on the disciples and they said, why do you eat with publicans and sinners? If you guys are so righteous, if you guys are so religious, how come you're with sinners? You know, not everyone's going to rejoice when people get saved. Some are going to say, that's way too easy. You can't like just, like just follow Jesus. You can't just turn and follow. I mean, you've got to make some changes here, folks. You've got to look better than what you are. Then one day you can get saved. 
They thought these people should have changed first, and then they could be accepted. And rather than attacking Jesus directly, they attacked the disciples. So these lost, proud, religious people attacked Jesus. But the scribes and Pharisees murmured. The idea of murmur is grumbling. Can you think about another passage in Scripture where grumbling really didn't go so well for people? Remember the Old Testament and serpents? A lot of times, you know, but even today, don't we sometimes struggle with grumbling? Even, even Christians, don't we sometimes struggle with some grumbling and we complain and we're not happy with our circumstances? Well, in this case, rather than rejoicing over the transformation, they complained to whoever they could get to listen. Why do ye, the religious people seem to care the least for those that they were supposed to be leading in the right direction. So, do you think these scribes, these Pharisees, do you think these people were there in the house eating with everyone else? You think they had kind of come into the party? I'm not thinking that they would because they wouldn't want to be, some of the people there had to be ceremonially unclean. Some of the people there had to have some kind of defilements in their life because these were publicans and sinners and others that are like that. So they're not going to go in, they're not going to be with those kind of people. But probably standing outside, probably observing what was going on, And notice verse 31. And Jesus answering them and said, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Isn't that ironic? Jesus talking to the religious people uses this simple logic, and he says, well, the people that are sick are the ones who need a doctor. And of course, it's the Pharisees, it's the scribes who are saying, oh yeah, I guess, I guess those people, those wicked people, those bad people, they're the ones who really do need a doctor. They need someone to help them, never realizing they were the ones that needed the help. Never realizing what we read back near verse 17 where we read, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them, talking about the Pharisees and the doctors of the law. They were the ones who needed healing. They were the ones that Jesus was caring about, and they didn't even recognize it. So Jesus uses this simple logic. And he says, it's the sick who need doctors. Scribes, the Pharisees, yeah, yeah I guess you're right on that. But then we go on and we see they said unto him, and they're going to now raise another question that's going to be important. Before we do, though, I thought this was interesting. A guy named Robert Munger made this statement as he was making an application to this text. 
He said, you know, the church is the only fellowship in the world where the one requirement for membership is the unworthiness of the candidate. The church is the only fellowship in the world where the one requirement for membership is the unworthiness of the candidate. Until we recognize that we are sinners, we can never be part of the body. You see, if you're trying to be good enough to get in, you don't understand the requirements to get in. You see, everyone here is a sinner saved by grace. Interestingly, he calls them to repentance. Now, let's go on and look at verse 33. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. So he comes and we have, we have this question that is going to be, uh, the illustration that Jesus uses is of a wedding. He said unto them, Can... Can ye make the children of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? Now, a wedding would often last a week long, and it was all celebration because something joyous was taking place. And Jesus was saying, something joyous has taken place. He gave them an illustration that they could visually picture, and that is, you know, you don't go to weddings and you see everyone sitting around crying and they can't believe this is taking place and no they've got cake and they've got mints and they've got great stuff to eat people sit down and sometimes they have big meals wow why this is a joyous occasion you know i i thought back to our wedding and i thought back of how kind cindy's parents were i mean we had we had a good number of people that came to our wedding, uh, several hundred. And they had a big sit-down meal. Dad must have spent thousands and thousands of dollars. Why? Because this was a really big event. They were so excited. Their daughter had come to maturity and she was getting married. The guy not so certain about but my daughter's getting married and we're spending all this money because we're rejoicing. That's what Jesus is pointing to here. The scribes and the Pharisees were not only upset at the disciples' friends, but they were, uh, but they were also upset with the joy that people had about being with Jesus. Jesus was not only a man of sorrows because of what he went through, he was also a man filled with joy. So we have this, this celebration that Jesus is talking about. And literally, Jesus is saying, look, I came to make life a wedding feast, not a funeral. If you know the bridegroom, then you share in his joy. That ought to be our happiness. That ought to be when people walk into this body, they ought to see the joy. They ought to see the, the, uh, the happiness that we have. Now, he mentions, he says in verse 35, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away. Jesus was giving, just pulling back the curtain a little bit and saying, I'm not going to be here always. I'm going to be gone. I'm going to die. But notice at the end there, he says, and then shall they fast in those days. You know, nowhere in the New Testament that I'm aware of are we ever commanded to fast. 
Now, we see in the early church they did fast. We see that the disciples of John fasted. We see in the Old Testament there was a command for fasting. But in the New Testament, it's not wrong that they fasted. We see the early church fasted. But we never see that commanded anywhere. Just like you'll never see anywhere in, in the scriptures where it's commanded that you have to kneel when you pray. You know, your prayers are just as good if you're standing up as when you're kneeling down. Now, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we kneel when we pray. Why do we do that? Because it helps us to focus. But it's not wrong if you don't kneel. When we fast, fasting and prayer, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. Fasting, often for me, what it will do is it helps me focus to be intentional. But it doesn't make my prayers better because I fast. Now we go on and we look and see here. Verse... um, Let's go on to verse 36. Here Jesus says, and he spoke also a parable unto them. Now, a parable. What's a parable? Well, it is a story. Here it's just a short saying. But it's intended to teach a spiritual lesson. A parable is something where you lay a a physical thing alongside a spiritual thing to help you understand it. It's not intended. A parable is never intended to, for us to be able to extract every point out of it. It's a story that allows us to understand a spiritual principle. So look what he says. Speaking to them, because they still aren't getting it. They're still saying, you guys are not following the Jewish system. And he says, no man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. Now, just so we don't get lost in the middle of this, look, here's what he's describing. He's saying, all right, I've got a new shirt and I've got an old shirt. My old shirt has holes in it. So am I going to take my new shirt and cut holes out of my new shirt so that I can patch my old shirt? You go, no, that's crazy. What do you do? You put on the new shirt. And notice what he describes here. He says, no man putteth a piece of a new garment, a new shirt, upon an old. So you've taken a piece of a new garment and put it on an old. If otherwise, then both the new has a hole in it, maketh a rent. And the piece that was taken out of the new doesn't look right on the old shirt anymore. You've got this really weird looking shirt now. It's like, well, there was a hole and obviously there was a hole and there's a hole because you can see the differences. Verse 37. He then takes it another step. He says, no man putteth new wine into old bottles. Again, all right, let's stop and think for a moment. What did they have? They would use kind of like a Daniel Boone canteen that would be made out of an animal skin, and they would clean it. They'd get all the bones and all the junk out of it, and they'd scrape it, and then they would sew it together, and they would then put stuff into it and, and plug it, and that new skin would stretch. But over time, that skin would get hard. Now, if you put 
new grape juice into something and over a period of time as it begins to ferment what's going to happen if it can't expand it's going to burst now you've ruined your bottle and the bottles the whole purpose of that bottle was to keep what you enjoy to be able to drink he says that's going to burst he said it will be spilled and the bottles will perish notice verse 38 but new wine, new grape juice, must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. So again, what is he telling them? He's saying, look, don't try to put what I've come to do and to force it into Judaism. Now, they knew Judaism had problems. Judaism had holes. Judaism had weaknesses. And they were saying, we just need to fix this up. You need to take what Jesus is saying, but you need to put it into Judaism. And Jesus is saying, you don't cut up the new shirt and put it into the old. You don't take this new sweet wine and try to put it into an old bottle. It would be ruined. And then he makes this statement in verse 39. No man, having drunk old wine, straightway desireth new, for he saith the old is better. Now, this last verse is a little tricky because of the way it's translated. The last word is the word better. And really, a better way that would make this more clear is to say the old is good. Okay? So, let's put this into, try, try to visualize this. He's saying, all right, now they go to a wedding feast. He's been talking about a wedding. And they've got all of this old, this mellow, this, it's got age on it now, all this older juice, which probably at that point has some fermentation in it because anytime you let a juice sit, it's going to get some kind of fermentation to it. Not like we have today, which is intentionally fermented, but there would be some fermentation that would take place. So you got a guy who's been at a wedding feast and he's been drinking the, the juice, the wine. He goes, ah, oh, this is fine. Oh no, I got this good stuff. Nah, this is fine. This is good. He hasn't tried the new stuff. That's the point he's making here. He says, look, he said, you've got a guy who is content. He's trying to hang on to the old stuff he hasn't tried the new. It's not a comparative, the word better, it's not a comparative term. He didn't taste of the good stuff and say, I want the old stuff. He didn't even try the new stuff. You know, when, when we look at what Jesus has been presenting, so let's stop and think. Jesus saw a crowd and he taught the crowd. Jesus saw Peter. And he cared about the fact that Peter didn't recognize that this, he was the creator. Jesus saw a leprous man and he knew that man was dying. Jesus saw a man that was impotent. He couldn't walk. He had no power in his legs, in his body. And Jesus cared for that man. But you remember what he cared most about was that man's soul. Jesus doesn't fix every physical problem we have. He gives us grace, but more than that, he's concerned about where we're going to live forever. 
that we could be with him. And he cared about those Pharisees. And he healed the lame man so that they would know he had the power to forgive sin. He saw the outcasts of Matthew, Levi, and all those other publicans that were outcasts, all the other people like them, and Jesus cared about them. You know, if we're going to reach out, we're going to be reaching out to people who don't look like us, people who didn't grow up like us, people who haven't experienced the changes that we have experienced. And Jesus cared about them. And what was Jesus' invitation? He said, follow me. Come on, there's room for you. As a physician, he offers new life and spiritual health. As a bridegroom, he brings new love and joy. He gives us a robe of righteousness. Christianity is a feast. It's not a famine. Jesus Christ is the only one that can make that kind of difference in our lives. The thought that Luke is teaching us is... Jesus reminds us what's important to him. He came knowing his creation was damaged and dying beyond fixing. They had to be born again. He couldn't just say, well, I'll, I'll help them out a little bit here and then they'll be okay. They needed a total, a total beginning again. Jesus brings hope, joy, change, and life.